Hey, what's going on? It's John, and it's time for the JMart Cast for Monday, November 22nd. What's going on? How are you, friends and family? Thank you for joining me for another episode of the JMart Cast. Hope you've had a good week. Mine has been awesome. There's been a lot of good stuff that's been happening this week, with only one minor downfall in that I got sick on Thursday. My kid got sick again, probably from going to daycare, and then, of course, he passed it on to me, and that's just... Uh, what happens. But yeah, I'm already feeling better today. I think it really was only a three-day illness today. I'm just, yeah, back to normal. In fact, I went to jujitsu today and had a, there no no class in terms of like a, a professor kind of teaching drills or anything like that. Today is just the Sunday free roll day where you just go and see a bunch of people and roll with them the whole time. And uh, had a good time doing that. Stayed only for about an hour, only did like three rolls, but they were really good, fun rolls where I was trying new things and uh, uh, putting myself in vulnerable positions and kind of just trying to figure out new things that I can do as I'm rolling around and not just stick to my main basic moves that I always do. Yeah, I've been having fun doing that. And then just a lot of crazy, awesome things happening this week. So on Tuesday, I had, oh yeah, I guess I kind of mentioned this on my last podcast, but on Tuesday it happened. I, I did my interview with Ryan DeBell, uh, Dr. Ryan DeBell. He's a doctor of chiropractic, but he's uh, basically well known for his Movement Fix platform. He's got a podcast named Movement Fix. He's also like got a massage therapy tool that he's uh, uh, you know uh, marketing out there. Anyway, he's a well-known kind of person in the health and fitness world and he agreed to come on my podcast and talk about back pain because he has a personal story of like overcoming it, having to deal with it for years. And so had an awesome time having a really good conversation with him. It was so cool that I just kind of like reached out to him and asked him to come and join the podcast. And he said yes. And then I sent him the Zoom link and he actually clicked it. <laughs> and we had a nice little chat before the podcast started, which was great. And then we... Um, had the podcast uh, we had agreed to make the podcast be an hour long but then we were approaching an hour and I was like letting him know like I, I want to be respectful of his time and he was very happy to just kind of keep going and let the podcast come to a natural end not have to stick to the one hour timeline which was awesome and so we went for almost an hour and a half an extra half an hour there that was nice to continue to talk to him and kind of see uh, we ended the podcast with kind of like his overall vision of where he's going uh, a little bit separate from like the back pain part of it and it was just kind of nice to be able to have that more in-depth conversation with somebody who I've looked up to in the fitness world and now we're kind of like more like colleagues and uh, it's, yeah it's just awesome it's a really good feeling uh, that podcast is out on the regular platforms Apple Spotify Amazon Music uh, Google Play whatever wherever you get your podcasts look up state of health the latest episode is my episode with dr ryan debell i think i call it low back pain lessons i think is the name of the podcast with ryan debell and developing your homunculus we were talking about that so the homunculus is kind of like this representation of what the human body would be like if you were to represent each part of the body to be as proportionally big as there are sensors in the brain for that part of the body and so what I was one part of the conversation we had was this ability to develop your brain or your sensory perception of different parts of your body, your conscious control of your body. You can develop that further and further such that parts of the body that you can't quite control well currently over time, you'll be able to develop more and more precision in the movement. 
So yeah, that was a great conversation and um, all the podcast stuff is out already. And then I'm going to release a, a video version of that on my YouTube channel on Monday morning. So keep a lookout for that if you prefer consuming media over on YouTube compared to the other places. But so yeah, that podcast was a big part of my week, like doing it and then doing all the editing afterwards in order to get it ready and be published. Uh, finally got that done yesterday and released it. So excited for people to check that out. Let's see what else happened this week. I told you I got sick. And so because I got sick, I decided that I am not going to continue the animal-based diet thing that I've been doing since the start of November. So I made it almost three weeks. It was more like two and a half, honestly speaking. But yeah, just a quick re recap. So for November, I decided to do this animal-based diet thing where you're basically kind of doing a carnivore diet. But uh, it's not full-on carnivore where you're excluding everything else. You're including certain uh, sources of carbs. So there were like sweet fruit that I would eat, you know, all sorts of things, apples, oranges, berries, pineapples, pears, like anything, banana, mango, dates. I even ate dates. And then there's some non-sweet fruit that I ate as well, avocados, olives, pumpkins, squashes, uh, uh, cucumbers, zucchinis, that kind of stuff as well. And then I was basically just trying to stay away from uh, from vegetables as well as the nuts. I stayed away from vegetables and nuts. But I I couldn't really stick to that 100%. <laughs> so first of all, like, based on this diet, I would have had to uh, not drink any coffee, which I decided I would go ahead and not do. But then I still needed some caffeine. So I decided that I'd just drink tea instead. So lower amount of caffeine, but still have access to it. So obviously tea is a plant. So I, you know, cheated on that part of the diet. And so didn't stick to it very uh, strictly but at least i didn't have coffee for three weeks today actually was the first day that i had coffee since the start of november and it was actually really nice and like made me realize how much more i appreciate coffee <laughs> when i don't have it and it's kind of a nice uh byproduct of having tried this diet for a little bit you know when you don't have something for a long time and you get it back you get to appreciate all the little nuances of it and it was just great going to our like local little coffee shop that makes awesome coffee and I got their espresso shot and it was so nice to sip on <laughs> little things like that that you can start to appreciate that's the, that's the beauty of trying these little experiments every once in a while you know you get little little lessons like that from uh, just changing things up a little bit yeah well one thing uh, that I also didn't stick to in terms of doing this diet strictly was I ended up eating nightshades when you do this animal-based diet, you're supposed to not consume nightshades. I didn't even know what nightshades were, to be honest, in the beginning. But nightshade vegetables, if you look up on Google and like click on the first link, I think it's like healthline.com, it says nightshade vegetables are edible parts of flowering plants that belong to the Solanaceae family. The origin of the name nightshade is unclear, but could be related to their dark and mystical past. Some nightshades are rumored to have been formerly used as narcotics and hallucinogens. Jesus Christ. The nightshade family contains over 2,000 varieties of plants, but very few of them are actually eaten as food. Some, such as belladonna, are even poisonous. However, nightshades also include vegetables that have been staple foods for many societies for hundreds of years. Some of the commonly consumed nightshade vegetables include eggplants, peppers, potatoes, tobacco, tomatoes. Yeah, so I, so I had like tomatoes and potatoes and peppers as my nightshades. 
and you're supposed to like not have them because they have some sort of compound in them that people are basically they have allergic reaction to. So and since some people are more allergic and some people are less allergic, I think if you exclude it for a long period of time and then you bring it back, then possibly you can see how sensitive you really are. So I don't know. I didn't end up excluding it because I freaking love tomatoes and peppers and eggplants and potatoes too much and I couldn't give that up. So <laughs> I gave up the other vegetables, but not those. But now that's all over. Like once I was sick, I was like, I'm giving this up. I did it long enough and I was like really not enjoying it, to be honest, that much. I, I don't like all the restriction. I just want to be able to eat what I want to be able to eat. It's not like I'm overweight or anything. So I don't, I don't know. Like there are lessons to be learned from doing the, uh, doing these things, but there's also sometimes I'm just like questioning why am I really doing this? <laughs> so once I kind of got sick, I was like, for sure, I don't need to continue this. And I was like, I need to do my trifecta of like getting over colds real quick, which is of course my zinc lozenges, my uh, bone broth. And then the most important, of course, is the bread with butter and honey. <laughs> If I don't have to get the bread with butter and honey, then all the other stuff is a waste. So I had to get back on the bread, on the wheat. So <laughs> the diet went to its finality and I'm no longer continuing it. But it was good to try. And I did learn, learn a couple of other things too. Like for example, wheat seems to have a big impact on my digestion and like bowel movements. <laughs> Like as soon as I had bread the next day, it was like going to the bathroom was definitely different. So yeah, it's it's interesting to kind of learn these things about yourself and your body and be able to apply it. You know, going forward, I'm definitely going to be a lot more, you know, choosy as to what kind of food products that have wheat in them I'm going to consume, right? So eating something like that I've made, I, I feel much more confident in take, in doing that compared to some something else that you know, I get from a grocery store. It's just, yeah, gets back. It gets back to trust. I feel like I can't like every episode. I'm just it's revealing more and more how I trust less and less about the outside world, about everything except what I do. <laughs> I don't know. I just, uh, I think from a long time ago, from when I was a kid, I, I kind of learned the lesson. I keep relearning it over and over again. And I guess it's kind of gotten to the point where, you know, it's really been tattooed in my mind. But like, if you want done something right, you got to do it yourself. I learned that lesson when I was small. And it's, it's an important one because only you know what you do, what you can do, what you're capable of. And if you leave some task to somebody else, more likely than not, it's going to be accomplished in a way that you did not expect. And then in a way that's probably counter to what you would have wanted to do. At least that's my experience. <laughs> so there's a natural counter to that. Just, you know, the there's multiple ways, I guess, of dealing with that. The initial one is just to trust less and take responsibility and do more yourself. And then over time, of course, that can overrun you because there's so much, there's only so much responsibility that you can take on. So uh, you need to find the right people to surround yourself with who you can put that trust in. But it takes a long time to develop it, I guess. So so yeah, I do not have trust in too many things around or people around me. So <laughs> yeah, I try to work on that, I suppose. Let's see. 
what else happened this week. Right. So even though I got sick on Thursday and I went into like recovery mode, did my things that I always do to help me recover better. And by Friday, I was already feeling pretty good. And my wife and I had planned a date night for Friday night. We made reservations at Antler Kitchen, I believe it's called. It's a well-known restaurant in Toronto. It was uh, a little bit in the public eye for a little while, a few years ago, because there were some vegan people that were protesting outside of the restaurant and trying to make a big scene and everything. And then it kind of got blown up because the owners of the restaurant, as a response to the people who were protesting outside, they brought the carcass of like, I think it was venison of a deer by the window where the protests were happening and started butchering it out there. Um, and so it kind of uh, had a bit of a, I guess, shocking impact on the protesters who are, of course, vegetarian and don't like seeing that kind of stuff. And so <laughs> uh, anyways, you can look that, look up that story, Antler Kitchen Bar. It's a really nice place. It's a really nice restaurant. And Carly and I hadn't gone on a date night for a long time. And we're going to have, you know, our baby daughter pretty soon, like any day, probably from today to two weeks from now is, is it's happening. And so we wanted to cut what we called it. It called it our, our baby moon. So we're just kind of having our final little hurrah before baby comes along. And so we went on a date to this antler kitchen bar and it, it was awesome. They have basically a lot of gamey food a lot of food like a hunter would eat let's say and so uh, this is what we had we had a charcuterie board with some nice cheeses and uh, I think it had some liver pate some other uh, duck parts and aged like slices of meat that was really nice we also had an elk tartare that was one of the better things too that was awesome and then for our mains, I had this like mixed uh, game burger. I think it had like three different animals. I think it had boar, venison, and bison too. Uh, Carly had a dog confit. Uh, it was an awesome, awesome dinner. And we kind of had like a great time just hanging out, counting our lucky stars of how blessed we are to have a little bit of time to ourselves before the baby comes. And of course, how lucky we are to have a second baby all that. And then we were having so much fun. We're like, let's do this again tomorrow because uh, our kids away for the weekend at the grandparents. So we're like, yeah, let's do this again. Except we wanted to do it like a home uh, date night instead of going out. And so the next evening, my wife made this really awesome dinner for us. We had a couple of courses. We had like a nice salad course to start out with, with some arugula and pear and pecan with a nice dressing that she made with a little bit of maple syrup in there. That was really good. And then she made this amazing quiche with phyllo dough pastry on the, instead of like the shell being made of like the regular uh, pastry shell, she uses phyllo dough pastry for it. It is freaking awesome with a lot of uh, caramelized onions. Uh, so good. And then the other thing she made was like these seafood phyllo dough pastries, uh, like triangles. I don't know how to describe them, but basically it's like this phyllo dough uh, triangle filled with seafood and like cream cheese. It's freaking awesome. So we had that basically for our dinner the next day, having like a second date night. And so it's been a great week, you know having to do my podcast with like a guest that I've admire going on two date nights and having a baby moon with my wife. Like who cares if I got a little sick, I got over it in like three days. So I'm, I've been just flying on the moon, having a great time, 
basically enjoying my time, enjoying my sleep right before this baby comes and like totally <laughs> flips my world upside down. <laughs> uh, let's see. All right. Let's, let's do a little quick, quick Bitcoin update, see what's going on in the world of Bitcoin. What are we doing? We're trading at $59,622 for one Bitcoin. That comes to 1,677 Satoshis per US dollar. Remember, one Bitcoin can be broken down into 100 million Satoshis. So $1 can still get you thousands of Satoshis. Don't lose your ch chance to get that. There was a little minor dip within the last week in the price, right? It kind of made an all-time high and, and came back down. So, but it's, it's like, that's pretty normal for Bitcoin. So I hope you bought the dip. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I can say about that. Let's see. What else happened in the world of Bitcoin? Oh, yeah, taproot activation. I don't know if you guys heard about this, but this is like the second major upgrade to Bitcoin that's happened in the last, like, basically 11, 12 years that it's been running. And so this is actually huge that it, that it happened. So the question is, what is taproot? Why did it happen? So I, I don't fully understand it, but I'll try to explain kind of what I think about it and what I know and understand so far. So one thing we have to understand about Bitcoin and like what it is, is it's just basically data, right? There's like the blockchain, which has all the transactions that have ever happened between all the people on the Bitcoin network. And based on that, that's how people decide how much money each person has, right? And so all that is basically included in a ledger. And it's just all this data on a ledger, on a public ledger that everyone has access to. And so we, we quickly get to this point where money is data, right? And so in order to make a transaction, you write your data down, and then you have to pay a fee based on how much data you write down. So the fees are are not based so much on the total sum of what you're you're moving around, what transaction you're doing, but actually the amount of data it takes to write down your transaction. It's very interesting to think about, right? So think about it this way. Like if you have a Bitcoin wallet in which you have five Bitcoin and 10 Bitcoin, and you need to make a purchase from somewhere that makes that may cost 15 Bitcoin. Now, in order to make that purchase, you would have to use the five and the 10 to add up to 15 to buy that thing, right? So in the blockchain, you would write, I want to use my 10 Bitcoin and I want to use my five Bitcoin. And that would take more data to write that down than if you had a Bitcoin wallet that had 15 Bitcoin as one chunk. Yeah, that's the one thing they have to understand is each time that there's a transaction and you receive something, you get that ch one chunk, and then that chunk sits in your wallet with all the other chunks you ever received. And so if you combine those to make another purchase for like another transaction, because you have to write more data down, then you have to pay more fees for that. And so that introduces me or sets up the introduction for to understand what taproot is and so this is an upgrade to bitcoin that will aim to improve the privacy and efficiency of the network it's like the first update that's happened since 2017 and the 2017 one was the first one that happened ever since like the launch and so it 
one thing it does is in, in, in like this is going to get technical now, but in this update is going to introduce something called Schnorr signatures. I have no idea what that is, but basically it's a less data intensive way to authorize transactions. And so basically you'll have to write less on the actual Bitcoin blockchain, which means if you write less, you pay less fees. So that's good. <laughs> And then it'll also enable Taproot, which is some sort of technique that I don't fully understand, but it will obscure some data so that it, you, it increases the privacy of the transactions that get written down on the blockchain, which is good. And then the last thing it does, it'll outfit Bitcoin with some upgraded programming language, which will then make developers be able to add better upgrades more efficiently later on. That's my understanding of it. But all in all, this is a good thing. And everyone kind of was in agreement for this upgrade to happen. And it's all going to be backwards con compatible too, which is amazing. Which, So if like somebody was, you know, bought Bitcoin when it was first launched in like 2010 or whatever, 20, 2009, and went into a coma and woke up, even though there's been these two upgrades done, he's completely fine. You know, like you could still be backwards compatible and your Bitcoin would still be useful and not lost, which is awesome. So yeah, there's that. That's the cool thing about Bitcoin that's happened. I don't think that happened last week. That was actually the week before, but it's actually huge news in, in, in the world of Bitcoin. And then the other thing I wanted to talk about this week before signing off was the question of what is fiat, right? I kind of talked about the uh, proof of work concept um, a couple episodes back and kind of why I thought that was important. And then like this word fiat, right? People, sometimes people think of the car, the fiat car, <laughs> Italian car, but it didn't used to be used very much fiat money, but it's definitely used in the vernacular much more commonly these days. And people have a better understanding of what it means these days, but kind of let's, let's explore kind of what it is. So I'm just doing a quick Google search for fiat currency and then here's what Google tells me from investopedia.com. Fiat money is a government-issued currency that is not backed by a commodity such as gold. Fiat money gives central banks greater control over the economy because they can control how much money is printed. Most modern paper currencies such as the US dollar are fiat currencies. So there you go. I think a couple episodes back I was talking about how what backs Bitcoin is all the computing power, all the processing power of the network behind it, and then the electricity expenditure that that processing power requires. That's what backs Bitcoin. But then you have fiat money, US dollars, Canadian dollars, euros, whatever, Japanese yen. All these things are government-issued pieces of paper that basically only have meaning because we give it meaning because we trust the governments, right? The issuers. So there's some natural questions that arise from this, like, like should they be backed by something? Were they backed by something at some point? Like, so, I mean, part of the answer was in what I just read, right? The, uh, what I read was fiat money is a government-issued currency that is not backed by a commodity such as gold, right? So you could use a commodity like gold to um, back fiat currency and that's kind of what it used to be like right there used to be gold was money 
And then because of some of the properties of gold, such as the fact that it's so heavy, you can't really transport it very easily back and forth. So in order to do transactions very easily, we had to get go to the second layer of money where we created paper currency as a way to transact more easily. And then you could have this paper currency backed by gold and you could always go back to gold. You could trade the print paper money for gold for the actual commodity that it represented but then what happened why did that change well i mean the problem with gold is you can't make copies of it very easily right you have to work to go dig it out of the ground and get more of it whereas with paper that's not the case paper is abundant you can use lots of paper and print lots of money and it's not a, you know, it's not difficult to make copies of it. And so it's easier to not have, you know, any money backed by a commodity such as gold because gold requires work, proof of work to get, whereas money does not. And then you can just inflate money ad infinitum as much as you want and make more money and make yourself rich, right? You can't do that with gold. And so if you guys know and understand that, then you might also know about something called Executive Order 6102. If you look that up, go to like Wikipedia, you can read that Executive Order 6102 was uh, signed on April 5th, 1933 by U.S. President Franklin D. Roosevelt, FDR, and it forbid the hoarding of gold coin, gold bullion, and gold certificates within the continental United States. Now, they say hoarding, but it was all possession of gold, unless it was like some sort of um, jewelry or something like that. Besides that, it was all confiscated, right? Can you, can you believe that? If like that happened today, all of a sudden something you own, the government decides, nope, not allowed, confiscated, ours now. And I believe they compensated people with this order like wh whoever you know gave their gold up they were compensated at the price of gold at the time but there was something that happened later on due to some sort of manipulation that led to the price going quite a bit higher of course after people had given up <laughs> their gold to the government or been forced to the price goes up <laughs> great right <laughs> so yeah so that happened and they did it because they needed to basically inflate the amount of paper money and they couldn't do that if they had if they could stay on a gold standard and people could return their you know paper certificates for gold they wouldn't be able to do that there wouldn't be enough gold to, to to give to people who wanted to return their certificates so they got rid of it for domestic people now that was still possible for like foreign entities right governments to come and uh they would have American dollars and they could replace that for gold. And But even that was stopped in 1971. And so that's just a brief history of kind of what happened. But it just goes to show that money is this powerful tool and people want to control it and they'll do whatever it takes to get a hold of it. So it's up to you as a sovereign individual to figure out how to secure it as best you can. And so... Bitcoin is that to me because if I secure it correctly in a way that I'm in control of my private keys to this encrypted right form of money, 
then it should be unconfiscatable and immutable and open for me to use and transact with anybody else, whoever can connect to the network. And that's what I love about it. That's why I'm in such full support of it and why I'll continue to talk about it on this podcast. Anyway, that's the end of the episode for today. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for being here with me and sharing my thoughts and just kind of, you know, participating in this whole process, this podcasting world with me. I really appreciate all the listeners. Thank you for the people who let me know that you've been listening. I appreciate that all the time. So if you're listening, always you can always uh, get in contact with me. Just let me know that you're listening uh, or anything else you want. If you have any questions, just reach out. I'm on social media. Twitter, Instagram at jmartfit, or send an email to newsletter at jmartfit.com. And then you can always get my free bodyweight training program at subscribepage.com slash bodybasics. All right, cool. Thanks everybody for listening. Catch you next week. Jmart out.